I think when it comes to talking about sex in general, it needs to be very open. It's about bodies and about feelings, so it needs to be very, very open. Welcome to Generation C, uh, a podcast by Copus, where we explore creativity, growth, and the good life. My name is Julius Gable. And my name is Karl Kronika. And we are your hosts. And today we are having the pleasure of having Clara and Frank from Peach in the, in the studio. We are going to explore how they've built a sex toy brand from scratch without any funding here in Copenhagen and also recently opened up a store in Aarhus. They are building a sex toy brand uh, for a young crowd that is curious to know about their bodies and sexual freedom. And they really have built a universe that are transforming the way we talk about sex. Yes, and Peach is at everyone's lips at the moment and, and really sort of sexually empowering the new generation by giving them a safe space to talk and learn about sex, pleasure, boundaries, and their own bodies. And being a, a bootstrap company forces them to be sort of really creative with their marketing and knowing that they can't just like spend uh, thousands on advertising but have to organically reach uh, people by creating a community so it's it's going to be super interesting to understand better how clara comes up with the hilarious but also enlightening memes and tiktoks that characterizes speech social media and what you sort of do when your team is made up of people who are creatively very different and how you use that for your advantage We really hope you'll enjoy this episode. Let's get uh, started with the conversation. How did Peach came about? We felt like it was something that was missing in in Denmark and in our personal life. Uh, we are almost the same age and we are brought up in almost the same way and I would say that we are quite vanilla so we would like to have a platform that we found comforting and easy to use and introducing because we are beginners ourselves uh, when we started. I think a lot of it came about as like a, a quite from my perspective obvious hole in the market kind of a confusion why that gap a hole hadn't been filled yet which primarily evolved around what you call it a uh, taxonomy, the hierarchy of a buildup of other sex toy stores, which was first of all revolving around one thing and one thing only, which is sex, where we wanted to kind of broaden it up a little bit so it's more uh, intimate wellness um, with everything that has to, to kind of say both sex but also kind of other aspects. And then just an, an observation around how existing stores and websites were portraying sex and intimate wellness. Um, it was very gendered. It was impossible to find a site that was not built up uh, after gender. So you had men, women, a couple, uh, always kind of meaning the same, uh, same assortment of products. Um, often a, a huge variety of, of products without any kind of focus on curation or quality. And then we kind of discussed in a meaningful way with some people that 
where we wanted to do something together. What can we kind of do about this? And then, um, yeah, it just came naturally. We started building off of something before doing any sort of, of registrations or business cases or applications for loans or anything. We just started doing what we kind of knew, which was uh, creating some content and some pieces spreading around the, the internet and building up a, a platform. And what would you say Peach has turned into become today now a few years uh, into your uh, journey after starting in, in 2019? Well, now it's a, it's a web shop and we have two physical shops, one in Copenhagen and one in Aarhus. Uh, and then we have quite a big reach on social media such as Instagram and TikTok where we talk about sex in different ways either a educational way where we uh, teach about sex genders buddies or in a fun way where you can um, feel recognized in memes and feel like you're not the only one who does this sexual funny weird thing and then we have a big part of peach that is our events and we make a lot of different events we make fun bingos where you can win uh, vibrators books all sort of, sorts of stuff and we have uh, peachy parties where we show our products uh, also give some tips and tricks you didn't know how to use a certain kind of product in an, another way than that it is actually function to. We have different workshops, uh, pop-ups in our stores. Our social media and our events is also a way of show our visions and uh, a way of creating educational uh, things about our brand. I think it's been quite an important piece of the storytelling about Peach that Since we are so limited in kind of more the traditional marketing aspects where most companies would mainly focus on, on probably building up a, a strong uh, pay-per-click strategy on... Due to you can't like promote sex and... No, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult uh, to kind of uh, get through on American social media platforms. Um, so we've kind of been forced into just um, kind of spreading awareness on, on multiple platforms, which you mentioned events, but also pop-ups, all sorts of stuff. So mainly like organic like events, yeah, and uh, no paid content and yeah, word of mouth. Yeah, K kind of just trying to put as many uh, seeds in the ground as possible and then hope for some of them to grow, which in some cases they do, in other cases they don't. We, we put so many seeds in the ground that it's fine if, if even 90% doesn't grow. It sounds like uh, you, you have to be really creative work that you do and also in figuring out like, different ways of branding peach when you're limited in, in some uh, ways. What does uh, creativity sort of mean to you personally? Maybe Clara, you can start. For me, I'm also in charge of the social media. So it's also part of my job. So it uh, has to be very structured to create content and sit down, use a couple of hours to uh, make a content plan. And of course, I get ideas from talking with my friends or seeing stuff on social media, but mostly it has to be really organized and structured and sit down and make memes now or make uh, ideas for educational content. I think for me, it, it's quite the opposite. Actually, I get most of my ideas just before I fall asleep. And then I write words to myself in email, I check in the morning and then I kind of try to force myself to put it into a, a longer sentence. And then I often send it over to you. 
So you can kind of execute the creative idea in an organized way, where my brain is, is way more unstructured in that way. It doesn't come naturally. I can't force myself to creativity. It's something that just pops up. I think in the beginning, it was more of a thing that popped into my head with creative ideas. But when it is a work, it's also really uh, difficult to keep on being super creative and making new memes about sex toys. It's often the same problematic uh, things that your uh, vibrator uh, goes out of battery or something like that. When I made some memes today, I go to Pinterest and then I search for cute animals. And then when I see a picture of the animal, it makes me, okay, this looks like a dildo that does this. This look, makes me look like this. So it's kind of intuitive, but it's also in a structured way. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, what I, what I think you've been really good at has been to always tap into something that is relevant and like newsworthy at the moment and kind of operate almost as a media outlet. And like whenever we have an election in Denmark, for instance, you're su super quick at making an angle in your universe that kind of taps into that. So it's not just like, you know, one way communication where you just put out your products and you say like, buy our shit, but it's more like, you know, you tell a story and you, it's very like community driven and, and it's also very focused on what's like the world that we in like this day. And then you are super fast at like getting ideas on like how you can tap that into to your universe how do you do that i think it's something that we started to do because we kind of saw the the feedback and the results from starting to do so but it's it's something that we spend a lot of energy on kind of dissecting what is the current climate what can we do in this current climate both when it comes you know down in the the low practical stuff, uh, posting plan on social media, but also more in terms of the broader uh, marketing strategy when it comes to events, pop-ups, commercial collaborations, who do we want to kind of partner up with longer term. It's always important for us to kind of do it with other people that are also updated and relevant in one way or another. So we don't fall behind or the opposite. But I also think that we have a very high standard of what we want to post on For example, Instagram, when you look at our feed, it looks super messy. But when you look at each post, you can see that there's really a thought behind. And maybe it's educational, funny, or something that is current in Denmark or somewhere right now when we talk about the election, something like that we can tap into. And people can also recognize themselves in. How would you say you've been building the brand throughout the years to this day where you're at now compared to, for instance, the previous, so to speak, competitors, like within the same space, like how, how do you differentiate and yeah, what have you been focused on in terms of like the story that you're telling beyond the products that you're selling? I think a, a very important part of this is kind of the, the multi-platform brand where I think our biggest differentiation to other competitors or congolega, I don't know the English word for that, out in the market, is that we are like a, a multimedia outlet. That's also why the physical stores has been extremely important for us. When we opened up the first store, kind of the base budget assumptions that we did was that if we just don't lose any money on this store, it's fine. It's, uh, it's still a good outlet for us because it gives us some credibility. We just went over a lot of the, the latest press yesterday that we've received where uh, the, the physical stores are 
are what it's kind of revolving about because selling sex toys online is nothing new. We might do it in a slightly different way with some other descriptions with a, a more slick website and easier navigation that's not gendered. But what seems to be moving the needle is kind of doing this multimedia outlet where it's it's everything from, yeah, as previously described, pop-ups, visibility in kind of arenas where you're not used to seeing sex toys. We had our debut at Roskilde Festival this year with a stand that is not seen in Roskilde before. I think it's, it's quite natural to have a Roskilde Festival, to be honest. But I think just putting us in kind of a new setting than what everybody else is doing. I also think that it's with our physical shops that people really understand our brand and our values because it's huge windows. You can really look into the shop. It's quite bright and all of the product, you can feel them, touch them, turn them on. Uh, and we, the shop in Copenhagen is at a corner. So you can see how people's reaction is when they walk around the corner and they look really curious and think it's maybe something for your home or something like that. But uh, I think the shop is really beautiful and you can see that we want to have sex toys out in the open and show it this way. And a huge congrats also on the opening in Aarhus a few weeks ago, right? <laughs> With uh, hundreds and hundreds of people standing in the, in the line to... to uh Yeah, welcome you to uh, to Aarhus. How did you wind up the opening uh, of the the store in Aarhus? We kind of looked at could it be fun to open something else than what we have in Copenhagen. Um, we've been looking at other places in Copenhagen. We're still kind of looking at other places in Copenhagen. We thought it should be open in Aalborg, Odense, Malmö, Lund, Nydeborg, whatever makes sense. Uh, and then we we're just browsing available uh, storefronts and uh, found one in Aarhus in Mailgade. And uh, then we kind of forgot everything about it until we got the keys 1st of October. It was quite uh, some intense week. The thoughts of this shop was that, of course, it had to be beautiful. We wanted it to be a bit more different than our shop in Nørrebro, where we have very pink curtains, and now we have changed our colors. But in our shop in Aarhus, we also have products that are not sex toys. So we have more books about sexuality and the body. And then we have uh, different lotions We have a nice selection of Rudolkers products. So we wanted it to be more of the complete wellness feeling when you go into the shop. And then it was some yeah, really intense days. I was sleeping in the very small kitchen of the <laughs> back store. And I'm not such a good planner, I found out. We had to pick up the iPad for our payment system. We thought we had taking the right package but it was the one the keyboard was in so at 11 when we had to open this shop and there was this huge line i had to run to the other end of the city to pick this uh, fucking ipad up but it all went really well <laughs> and it was uh, it was such a great day it was amazing to see how many people that came to support us We talked a bit about before how you sort of have different approaches to being creative. Uh, perhaps Frank, you're a bit more intuitive in your approach and, and Clara, you're a bit more structured. And I'm sure you are also sort of a good team that way that you can work together and have different strengths. Now we sort of heard a bit about it with how you sort of approached uh, the Aarhus opening. But in general, do you have, you know, some kind of way you work together when we are coming up with new creative concepts? I think uh, living together is uh, kind of a constant way of working together as well, where we give each other inputs and ideas in both good and bad ways. 
I think it's probably on like an overall uh, relationship balance scale, not good to have a business together. But I think it's good for business. What's the hard thing about sort of being in a relationship together while also running a company together? That you're always on work. Maybe we're also just bad at running a business together, but you're always on work. We talked about it this morning, not about it, but about something work-related. We probably also talked about it last night, just before falling asleep. Uh, we're going to talk about it on the way home, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow morning when we wake up. There's sometimes Frank, when he has these really good ideas before we're going to bed, he makes an email ready to send it the next day. And sometimes the mail is sent before we say good morning to each other. <laughs> and it's, I think that's maybe the one of the bad things. Where he sent a, an email to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with some idea. And then it comes maybe at eight and we make a, wake up 8.15. There's already a mail ready. You've been bootstrapped all the way, so you haven't received any form of funding from from external investors. So you have kind of yeah, built upon like your growth super organically. Uh, how come and, and how has that affected your way of, of building Peach? It's been affecting the business a lot. I think it's been making it so fun. I couldn't imagine selling a part of the business to a like semi-active or, or maybe inactive third-party investor type. I think it would be demotivating for me. I think being bootstrapped is kind of motivating how we steer the business. And I think being bootstrapped also drives this kind of creativity when it comes to marketing. Because one thing is that we cannot go out and spend 150,000 kroner a month due to community guidelines on Instagram, for example. But we also can't do it because we don't have 150,000 to spend a month on advertising. So we, we're very well calculated in kind of the stuff that we do. We try to make everything work with as little as possible. We do everything ourselves, more or less. And we've had the Cobus as a PR agency, but that's kind of the only third party assistance of meaningful size that we have gotten. Everything else is is done by ourselves. We designed our own furniture for both the shops and had it made on our own kind of everything has been done from absolute scratch and is still being done from absolute scratch. It sounds like it's like a great strength that you sort of are bootstrapped in the sense that you sort of are forced to being even more creative uh, than if you had all the money in, in the world from an in investor. But if you let's say, had all the, the money you needed for anything, like what would you then buy for Peach? A jacuzzi? No. I think, like you say, we use a lot of time on processes and that would definitely speed up times to have craftsmen do the floor and have maybe a person who knows influencing, doing the influencing work and not just somebody who tries different things. Uh, so we would probably speed up some processes and make them more efficient. Open up a lot of physical stores as well. There's a lot of capex involved in opening up a lot of stores that we don't currently uh, has the size to kind of withhold. So far, the Nervo store has been a great success. Uh, Aarhus is looking to turning into a, a success as well, I would say, both from a profitability standpoint, but, but more importantly from a marketing and exposure standpoint. Um, and it goes without saying that we can't open up 10 new stores tomorrow in the 10 largest city in cities in Northern Europe. That's one of the places I would be looking. You're one of the brands that are sort of leading the 
the way for a whole new generation and their outlook on like sexuality and, and sexual freedom and yeah, general mindfulness of, about sex. How does that make you feel and, and where do you see that go in the next years? It makes me feel very proud that you say that because I think sometimes I can forget it when you you know you're working and sitting on the computer and it's really uh, nice to be a part of a something that is happening in society right now that there's a lot of focus on sex and wellness and I think that it's going to turn out to be a good way of people yeah learning their body and sexuality I think the flip side of us having to do that, or it's it's already on the flip side, actually, I'm kind of probably contradicting to trying to build a business, but I, I think it's it's second best, but best would have been if it was other instances uh, leading the way in terms of uh, teaching a young generation about sexuality and, and boundaries now. From like an educational perspective in, in, in school and... Yes, I think we, we try to balance it, but I think it's, it can also be dangerous to kind of leave such a, an important part of education and, and self-knowledge to uh, private companies, uh, whether it be in terms of sexuality or, or kind of any other uh, thought and, and teach processes. But you can see that there's a lot of focus on sex and bodies in the media right now. And that gymnasiums, it's now on pinsum that you have to have sexual education is also because there are so many who focuses on it right now. They are just launched their series about sex education. Companies like us, but there's also some other initiatives that has a huge and really nice impact on young people and the young generation. You clearly see sort of still a need for sort of educating more in sexuality. Is there like any tendencies or anything specifically that you see sort of is lacking in the societies and knowledge about sex in Denmark in general? We have talked a lot about that in our sex education. It was a lot about the practical stuff. Remember to use a condom. Remember to pee after sex. Remember to do this. Use a tampon, blah, blah, blah. It lacks kind of the talk about joy and pleasure in sex. That When does it feel nice? When doesn't it feel nice? How do you make it feel nice? And the talk about yeah, pleasure. Yeah, so it's been kind of, and I think still is on a very practical level. We talk a lot about creativity on, on this podcast, but we're also super curious to hear, you know, about our guests' sort of view on how the, the good life looks uh, to them. We are curious to hear for you how you sort of see the, the good life. Well, I think it's a really good question because uh, right now it's just everything has been busy for a year and... Uh, Honestly, also super stressed when we talk about our company like this and you say some really nice things about uh, Peach Carl. It's the good life. It's really nice to work with something that makes a value and you can see open up minds and makes, it's a stupid thing to say, but kind of a difference. I would say the good life for me is working a lot, but working with something I think is funny and wanting to work a lot. I don't think I'm kind of classic entrepreneurial type that would like to work a lot with something I don't like because I, I don't want to spend time doing stuff that I that I don't like doing. But I love spending time on doing stuff that I like doing. What is the thing that you're, or like an experience you've had starting Peach and throughout your journey so far that you are the most proud of? 
I think for me, it's been the two physical store openings. It's kind of a basic thing, but just seeing something come together, I think for me is is really nice. Taking what we've already built and just kind of materializing it. But for me, that's kind of a, a big accomplishment. I think just press people talking about you, people talking about something that you've created and people uh, wanting to engage with something that you created or took part in creating. Yeah, I think it's the same for me and also specifically talking to our customers, both on our live chat, in our DMs and in our shops or at events, that people are really, really nice and supportive about your brand. And there's a lot of our customers who comes and are like, you have been a huge part of my sexual journey and you have been something we have needed. And I think that is a really, really big part of why I love Peach so much. How do you think that Peach has become this talking point also like in the media or turning into like a media darling that every journalist would like love to write about and, and give attention to? How have you turned a shop into something that is bigger, way bigger than, you know, the products that you have on the shelves, but it's way more about like a, a movement and a, and a community and a, and a bigger story. I think a lot of that comes from us doing a lot of stuff that doesn't help us sell more products in the short run. So I, I think it's, it's because we, we've kind of been more on the, in terms of marketing on, on the long run. And we do a lot of stuff that is not at all about uh, selling products. Uh, 80% of, of the activities, if we took them on like a, a per activity basis, they wouldn't be non-commercial because it, it's commercially driven, um, but they would be non-sales oriented in the short run. I, I think that also for journalists gives a lot of credibility to kind of the brains to talk about the other stuff that we do that is not necessarily about selling. I think that kind of plays the biggest role in what we're doing. It sounds like you're generally like quite happy about where you are in life right now and that you could probably see yourself be doing this for quite a while more. Do you have like any any dreams uh, that you hope to see come through your journey over the coming years? I think as you mentioned, Frank, it would be really fun to have more shops, physical shops and more events all over Scandinavia and different countries. It would be amazing to spread Peach more. Do you have any sort of must-do event and, and what would that sort of entail, that event? I think like a giant bingo in the Circus Revue or something. I thought about Lykkehjulet, but yeah. with Peach. Yeah, and then get it on Channel 4. I mean, kind of, of to the other question, I, I think um, Peach has been evolving uh, in an kind of uh, for us as co-founders in a way that if we extend it to the next 10 years, it would probably be uh, unsustainable in terms of work-life balance. I, I hope uh, we can get to a point where we can get just a, a little bit more sustainability in kind of uh, our, our work-life balance. I'm sure we can get to that point. But I also think the past 12 months has been so hectic and developing both for the company and for me personally that I can't even imagine like three years from now or even one year, not even six years. I mean, we, we're doing a strategy uh, almost on a monthly basis now. Uh, we went from doing it in a yearly cycle and with full year budgets down to almost doing it on, on a monthly basis now. We try to do it on a, a bi-monthly basis, but that was too far out in the future. 
how come that in terms of like uh, the constant adaptation to the market is it just because it's too difficult to look like beyond the coming two months or i would say it it's a decision we could plan out a year in advance um, but we wouldn't be as agile as we would need to be in terms of tapping into kind of the reality right now i think it's quite interesting also tapping into the thing you mentioned before frank with having a deep belief in what would be the most beneficial for you as a company as a brand in, in the long run and then not being as pushy with like being salesy and, and all that. I think some brands have a hard time doing, especially of course, due to cash flows and they have, have a strategy and budgets that you have to realize. But then sometimes it actually ended up being a bit like counterintuitive in terms of like, it actually had seemed to work quite well for you to be more like trusting in the process in terms of like, we believe that if we do the things that we care about and p- build the community that we care about and tell the story that we care about, then sales, growth, et cetera, will, will follow uh, rather than the other way around. How do you see that? I think what you're describing now is is kind of also what maybe makes it a little bit unsustainable because it's, that's at least for me, kind of the most stressful stressful aspect of it. Because on, on one hand, you're bootstrapped and, and you're tight on cash flow. And on the other hand, you, you want to do initiatives that is, is costful and has no direct kind of return on investment uh, over the next maybe 24 months. So that's the stressful thing about it, but also what we kind of learn to manage. And I think a lot of other brains could probably benefit a lot from learning to manage that balance between expenses and kind of the long-term branding value that, that we kind of see. So it is a decision for us to, every time we do something, it might seem very random because we do so many different things uh, as previously described and and that's only maybe 10% of the ongoing projects right now but there's quite a, a harsh due diligence on every project that we say yes to so we make sure that in the broad portfolio of attention streams we have we still choose the right one so it's not just everything from what we've talked about so far it's, it seems like you know much of the peach brand lives inside of of you too so also in the, in the way you sort of come up with the with the different concepts, do you think you could ever sort of pass on the torch, for example, for the social media or similar to someone else in the team? Could they be taught sort of how to think the peach brand or does that just live inside of you? It is quite funny because we have just, I've just talked about it with my intern because I'm super, I have a hard time describing our tone of voice. Okay, you can write this, but you could never write this and remember to write it like this. So I think it is because we are quite strict on our wording and how we talk about sexual wellness. And I could see myself giving it a bit up and getting uh, yeah some co-workers who could help with some social media things. Also because when you sit with it daily, you need some new ideas, of course, to keep developing I was also just thinking if you are to sort of open those uh, 10 stores, then <laughs> if one was uh, stressful, then you'll have enough to do that. I think for me, a lot of the things I sit with, there's probably a million people that's better than me at, at doing those things. And I think it, it's kind of professionally one of my both good and bad personality traits. I, I think I would simply just be worried that people would not do it good enough. It's also just like the whole thing about creativity is maybe, you know, it's it, it can be a hard thing to sort of teach someone else what kind of creative process that goes through your mind. So it's an interesting question, I think, to explore 
how that can sort of be taught to someone else. And it's from my own personality that creativity is very intuitive. It's it's very difficult to to explain intuition, if not impossible. So I I think that would would kind of require some stakeholder management of me to be able to kind of pass on those responsibilities. I would love to do it, and I would love to learn it. But we have had meetings with Carl where we had to uh, describe how what our brand is and what a good headline would be and what a bad headline would be, and it was also quite difficult for us that. Don't write that article. It's horrible. It would be a horrible thing for us. But this one is really, really good. So it is quite difficult, but we're learning. How do you navigate in, in that and how have you handled that throughout time? For instance, from um, the content that you produce on Instagram and on TikTok, where you also have, you know, this whole thing of being, uh, what is the word again? Uh, shadow banned, yeah. sorry, um, from from Instagram, where you, where you cannot say sex, where you have to put a... Uh, number three uh, instead and, and all these things how have you developed like your tone of voice and like the way that you communicate about sexual uh, wellness and, and sex in general first of all it has been kind of a trial and error what have been taken down and what hasn't been taken down we also talk a lot about me and frank about our social media wording for example we have tried to post the word nude a couple of times spelled in different ways with the number three and without the number three, and both uh, stories were taken down. And on TikTok, we have experienced that it really super strict. So I would never write vibrator. I would write my bussy friend. And that's really a trial and error thing because things have just been taken down and then you get super um, focused on never making mistakes like that. You get cautious because if you put a thing up that will be taken down, then your account will just get deleted. I think that also goes well with general communication because one thing is what's getting taken down from Instagram. That's that's very specific. But talking about intimacy and, and pleasure and sex is also, it's a controversial subject in a lot of different ways. It's a very delicate subject. So you need to be very uh, respectful and inclusive in the way that you talk about it. And I think that's also just trial and, and error. Often people are uh, correcting us whenever we, we say something that is is wrong, e- either factually or in another way. And then it's, I think it's just about taking it in and kind of learning from why is this being pointed out as something unacceptable or, or factually wrong and, and just listen to it, try to understand it, get better, understand where it's coming from. What's been the biggest like discovery or fuck up or learning that you've had uh, in the way that you communicate? I think when it comes to talking about sex in general, it needs to be very open. It's about bodies and about feelings. So it needs to be very, very open. And when it comes to sex, like uh, positions or products or something like that, you need to be super specific. Like you can never just say anal sex if you talk about penetrative anal sex. Then you need to say it's penetrative anal sex. That there are many different um, ways of talking about sex, but it's, it's yeah, like you said, Frank, that it's a very emotional thing to talk about. So there has been a lot of learnings. We also learned so much about sex and pleasure. Have you sort of, in, in that whole discovery phase or exploration phase, have you sort of uh, received any criticism from someone and how sort of did you handle that if you did? And if it's something you can talk about? 
a lot. It happens frequently. And, and I think it, it sounds weird that I'm happy when we get it. Obviously, I'm not, um, because it, it means we, we fucked up in some way. But on the other hand, it, it also means that we probably won't fuck up next time. So yeah, it's often in relation to a ton of, of different stuff, both how we word things, how we talk about things, how we execute events, how we make our stores, how we communicate in a kind of a broader perspective, how we position ourselves. It's uh, all, all kind of uh, areas of the business. And I think one of the things about social media is also kind of the line of, of command or, or the communication towards uh, consumers and customers are very, very short. So from, from somebody sees something uh, and flags it, Until we are aware, it, it takes uh, one the click of a, a button, and then we kind of handle it accordingly, depending on what sort of criticism it uh, it is. But yeah, it uh, it happens a lot, and I, I think it, it's been kind of a, a steep learning phase. Here in Kobus, once in a while, I can sort of get amazed by when I see great reference or you know something that has inspired someone from in here to sort of do something similar. Because, you know, creative people are also great at sort of finding inspiration somewhere else. And where do you sort of find your inspiration for, for everything you, you do? That's a good question as well. I think it was... Besides Pinterest and the <laughs> cute puppies. I'm just a basic bitch. Uh, I have just been on a holiday with two of my best friends. And it was really inspirational because my social life is really at a low point. So when I talk with my friends and there's sexual issues or issues with a partner, something like that, I actually get kind uh, I get really inspired to do different kind of content. Also, what is important to talk about, like how do you hit on your boyfriend or what do you do when you don't feel any sexual desire? It's mostly in conversations with others, I find inspiration also uh, i think we have a lot of nice uh, collaborations and people we have met in the sex positive industry in copenhagen such as the red van who is working on making safe in work conditions for uh, sex workers it was also quite we were on a business trip to the netherlands where we met other sex shops And it was really interesting also to talk with them. Because of COVID, we haven't really been out talking with other sex shops. So it was quite an eye-opener, like, okay, you also had a hard time finding insurance. So uh, you did it like this. That's a really nice way of doing a shop and everything. It was quite inspirational. Maybe final question. Speaking of COVID, I, I just came to think about, do you think it ha has had a positive effect on pushing like consumers towards a more uh, yeah, sexual free attitude and also like your success due to that, you know, in uncertain times you kind of seek uh, security and you seek uh, or like comfort. Uh, do you think that has had something to do with that? Yeah, I, I think on, on the low practical level, experience economy went down uh, and then people try to, to kind of bring the experience economy home. So yes, I, I think that that have had an impact on the industry. I don't necessarily think that was a big part of carrying uh, our brand up because the competition also got incredibly steep because everybody saw that hole in the market. So industry-wide, yes, for our business, no, I don't think so. I think we are sort of running out of time, but, uh, but it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for, for a great chat. An intimate pleasure. 
And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to this episode with Clara and Frank from Beach. We hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, you can find more episodes of Generation C in your podcast app or on the Copus website. My name is Julius. And my name is Carl. And you have listened to Generation C.